everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing in life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That is true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can learn more at p or authormagazine.org. We are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. To learn more about the PNWA and their fabulous yearly writers conference, go to pnwa.org. Today's guest, debut author, but ooh, she's written a good book. Good book. It's Katie Lumsden. And, uh, well, she read Jane Eyre at the age of 13 and never looked back. She spent her teenage years devouring 19th century literature, reading every Dickens, Bronte, Gaskell, Austin, and Hardy novel she could find. She has a degree in English literature and history from Durham University and an MA in creative writing from Bath Spa University. Her short stories have been shortlisted for the London Short Story Prize and the Bridport Prize and have been published in various literary magazines. Katie's YouTube channel, Books and Things, has more than 25,000 subscribers. She lives in London and works as an editor, and her debut novel is The Secrets of Hartwood Hall. A lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. Um, Kind of spooky, kind of romantic. She's a wonderful writer. Just loves her books, loves literature, loves history, all that good stuff. And we had a great conversation about stories, about history, about the Victorian era, London, a lot of things. I'm glad I get to share it with you now. Enjoy. All right, we've got ourselves debut novelist Katie Lumsden. Katie, how are you feeling? Book Hi. is out there circulating. You're doing all right? Yeah, it's a bit strange that the book is now published, I suppose, but it's quite exciting too. Yeah, well, uh, this book is, if I understand, I mean, it's kind of, I would say it's the culmination, but it's the latest manifestation of a, a kind of a lifelong obsession you've had, not just with books, but with a particular era. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I, I love reading a lot. I've loved reading, you know, a very, very long time. I read a lot of books. Um, and one of my sort of areas of interest is Victorian literature. I love Victorian literature a lot. So I read a lot of it and I have been reading a lot of it for a long time. And my novel, The Secrets of Hartwood Hall, is sort of inspired by a lot of the Victorian novels that I love and sort of, yeah, a life filled with reading lots of Victorian literature and kind of learning about the Victorian period and Victorian history, I suppose. All right. So help me out. Why? What? How old were you when you thought the Victorian era was cool and worthy of your continued and enduring attention? So when I was 13 years old, there was a TV miniseries of Jane Eyre. Um, and I watched the first episode with my parents because my parents were watching it. And I thought it was really, really interesting and exciting. And I wanted to know what happened next. So my mum gave me um, a copy of Jane Eyre, which she had because she likes Victorian literature. Um, and so I read Jane Eyre and I just loved it. And I, I had always liked reading, but until I read Jane Eyre, I skim read everything. I really? skipped for the exciting points. Yeah. As a child, I skim read all the time. I just read for the exciting bits. I just read the dialogue yeah. and like if something exciting was happening. And Jane Eyre was the first I read a book and I paid attention to everything because I suddenly really wanted to because it wasn't just the dialogue and the interesting bit. It was just everything was exciting to me. Um, and so Jane Eyre kind of started me on 
classics and on 19th century British literature and I just started reading a lot so I got really into Dickens as a teenager I read you know I read all of Dickens novels by the time I was 18 I read tons of Hardy, Gaskell, Anthony Trollope, the Bronte sisters um, and I just really loved their books and I find the time period the sort of Victorian era just really really historically interesting and the kind of more the more books that I read from that time period the more I find it interesting because the more I have a sort of you know full picture of the literature and the history I suppose what is interesting about Victorian era in particular it seems strikes me as such a uh well I don't know you tell me what what do you find interesting about what specifically why is it is it the restrictions to some degree the 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 um why why that so I think I think it's a lot of different things. I think one thing I find very interesting is that the Victorian period was a period of huge social change. You know, we talk about it as one homogeneous thing, but it absolutely wasn't. It was sort of 63, 64 years of massive social, technological, cultural change. And that I find really interesting. And especially the sort of technological change and how industrialization and urbanization and kind of machinery, how that changed culture and society is fascinating. Um, and I think actually is is really interesting for us as modern readers, because, you know, technology is changing our world a lot very, very rapidly. And the Victorians were kind of going through a similar thing. And they sort of the, the influence of that on the things they wrote about and thought about are really interesting. Yeah. I also find the kind of social and cultural history of the Victorian per- period really interesting. You know, you talk about the restrictions, but one of the things I really like about the Victorian period and Victorian literature is that they were constantly battling against the restrictions of their time. Um, you know, what I love about a lot of Victorian books is how much they challenge the kind of social status, status quo. Um, and, you know, I, I find a lot of Victorian literature sort of really proto-feminist in really interesting ways. I think a lot of the Victorians were fighting against class restrictions, gender restrictions, social roles um, in this way that is really fascinating. And they did live in this sort of hierarch- hierarchical um, restricted sure. society but actually they were battling against it all the time and that yeah. sort of like quiet rebellion going on in novels is fascinating and also the victorians you know they wrote a lot of books um and they had this sort of massive reading culture and produced a lot of sort of fantastic right. works of literature which are just yeah a joy to read well, in many ways really victorian era is also really the birth of the novel i mean it yeah. didn't really exist you know, in the U.S., of course, it's Moby Dick and Scarlet Letter and these kinds of books. But that was really when that art form was invented, essentially. I mean, I know there were I know that, um, you know, um, uh, Cervantes predates that some. But but that's kind of when it happened, wasn't it? Or, I mean, yeah, it really exploded I, as a as a means of communication beyond the play and the poem. And I think as well, the novel as we recognize it today comes from the Victorian period. You know, when I read, because I do read 18th century novels sometimes, and sometimes they're really enjoyable, but some, but a lot of the time they don't, they don't feel quite as much like a novel. The character arcs and the kind of character development yeah. isn't quite there. Um, and I don't think it's just the Victorians. I think it starts before the Victorians. You know, Jane Austen is sort of pre-Victorian, and I think she is right. sort of starts a turning point in terms of like characterization and stuff. But the Victorian period, I think, was when things really exploded. Um, definitely, at least in Britain, sort of the the novel just became what everyone was reading and kind of improvements in the printing press meant more books were produced right, and right. the sort of way books were serialized in journals. People 
just read a lot of novels and people were really hungry for novels and this created this mass explosion in novels um which is just kind of fascinating and means that there are you know so many books to read from the victorian period and so many authors were so prolific yeah one of my favorite authors anthony trollope and um, he wrote 47 novels <laughs> and about halfway through his work i've read 28 books by him i've still got like another 20 whatever to go um that's kind of great you know can you imagine writing 47 novels without that's a lot a computer without anything to we all by hand i mean i guess he might have been typing was that an option? no uh, not anthony Trollope. by by yeah. later on in the period yeah some of the by the sort of 18 well 70s 1880s but um i think i don't think anthony Trollope would have been typing i think maybe the typewriter was around by the end of his life but I, that would have been quite late on so i don't yeah. think he'd have been typing but yeah, it's really interesting when you see, you can see the sort of manuscripts, the original handwritten manuscripts that Dickens wrote with yeah. his own edits kind of just scrawled sure. in between. And the sort of typesetter <laughs> had to read that and put it into print. <laughs> Must have been so hard. Yeah, I can't imagine that. This question is a little more academic than I usually like to ask, but you've got my mind thinking, which is that in America, when they think of the women's movement, the feminist movement, it really... It- I mean, there's a lot of origins, but it's often traced to the Second World War when women were asked to work in factories and suddenly do all these jobs they simply had to do. And they weren't quite willing to go back to their lives that predated it. So it sort of began there and then exploded. Mm. But you were talking about sort of proto-feminism in the... Why do you think it... Is there any kind of sense of what sparked and gave people the idea that this was... They could push back and that it... what Like, where where do you think that started based on all your reading of it? So I think it depends. I mean, I think, you know, throughout history, people who are in um, sort of oppressed positions have always been unhappy with it and have always tried to find ways out of it. Sometimes they're not able and sometimes they are able. Um, And I think the Victorian period um, sort of technological and social change when other things in society are changing, it is easier for social structures to be challenged, I suppose. And you do see a lot of sort of very early proto-feminism in the early Victorian period. You know, I think the Brontes, the way they write about um, the position of women and um, marriage, um, especially in a book like The Tenant of Welfare Hall, which really looks at sort of um, the limitations a woman can have within marriage in the Victorian period. Those books are really interesting. And then kind of later on in the Victorian period, you get books which are much more like actively proto-feminist. So actually, we were just talking about the typewriter and the typewriter actually made a massive difference in terms of women's position in the Victorian period because it was seen to be acceptable that a woman could use a typewriter. Um, So that meant that office jobs were open to women in a way that they just hadn't been before. There's this wonderful Victorian novel called The Odd Women by George Gissing, which is all about... um, the sort of women's emancipation movement in the 1870s, 1880s. And it's about this group of women who want, um, you know, more from their lives and don't just want to get married and produce children, which is what they have been told is is what they ought to do. Um, And two of the women run a typewriting school because they're trying to get women into office jobs. And so the typewriter actually is, yeah, is Ah, something ah. that that pushes change for for women, which is fascinating. That's awesome. All right. So you read, you love it. You just can't get enough. You found your home your intellectual home, but (laughs) reading is one thing, writing is another. Uh, How soon did you say, I want to take a crack at this on my own, this storytelling thing? I mean, I've been writing for a very long time. I've probably been writing since on and off, since before I discovered Victorian literature. So I used to write stories as a child um, and as a teenager. And then when I was like 14, I decided I was 
was going to be a writer. So I started getting up early before school to to write in the morning before school. Um, And I've just I've just sort of done that ever since. So all the way through school, through university, through, you know, my working life, I've got up earlier than I need to in the morning to write before everything else I have to do. Um, And there have been various projects that have come and gone. And then, yeah, settled on The Secrets of Harwood Hall has been the first one that, um, yeah, has got out into the world, I suppose. Well, you you publish some short stories, yeah. I mean, you you dabble. Yeah, in I've had some. Yeah, I really like writing short stories too, and I've had a few short stories in yeah magazines. Um, yeah, in the past, were they set? I mean, short the short story tends to be modern, like that just seems to be where mm-hmm. it takes place. But did you did you allow yourself to explore your time frame in the short story, or did you make them modern? I think most of the short stories I've had published have been set in the modern. I think I've had one published that was set in like the Edwardian First World War kind of time period. But yeah, I think most of the short stories have done have been modern. I have written a couple of historical short stories, but it's slightly harder to do historical fiction in a short story because there's less space for for setting and that kind of thing. So it's sort of that's true. Might lend itself naturally to the novel more. I'm not sure. Um, But yeah, you gotta because if you're if you set it in 1870s London, it's you've got to fill the audience in on so much. Yeah, and the uh. And you don't have the time. Okay, so, well, listen, Secrets of Hartwood Hall, for those, for our viewers. Oh, I love this book. It was really a page turner for me. Beautifully written, romantic, a little creepy. You put a lot in there. There's a lot of stuff that you bring into there. Um, So talk to me about... Had you started other novels? You must have. You must have started some novels. Yeah, yeah. I have I have um, many novels on my computer that will never be seen. I counted. I think the I think the Secrets of Heart Hall is the thirteenth novel I've finished. Oh, but, oh, um, oh, but the oh. other twelve, some some of them are dire, terrible things that I wrote as a teenager that will never see okay. the light of day, and some of them I will return to. Um, but yes, I I wrote started and finished lots of other novels before the Secrets of Heart Hall, some of which were historical some of which were not historical um but yes um it takes a lot of time to get published so (laughs) it can it can and so what do you think was different about this book what was it what do you think what what did did you notice something different about it when you started it was it was it just book number 14 here we go let's do another one i think i think there are a few things i think one is that as a writer, the like the thing that makes you better is practicing writing. So actually, if you sure. write a lot of books, everyone will be better, hopefully, than the last. Um, and I do feel like a lot of writers write a lot of practice books before they write yeah. a book that is yeah. um, successful or that is commercially viable, I suppose. Because one of the things I did have, I had a few novels, which so I got an agent like a, quite a long time before The Secrets of Hartwood Hall. And I had a few books that went out to publishers that didn't kind of get any traction. Right. Um, and I think it was because they weren't sort of they didn't necessarily have that like commercial hook or that sort of commerciality, I guess. Whereas the secrets right. part was all, I I had written quite a few books and I had been starting to get published and I I thought quite hard about what would be a commercially viable novel. Um, so I also work in publishing myself. I'm an editor, um, and so that gives that has given me sort of, um, I don't know, yeah, knowledge about the industry, especially in the UK, and sort of what books are commercially viable. And it probably helped me think, okay, so if I got this book on submission as an editor, what would make me think um. maybe we can sell this to people? Um, so there's so there's half of me where I sort of feel very artistic and I, you know, had a whale of a time writing it and it's a complete love letter to Victorian literature. And then there's another part of me that did manage to put my business brain on and think, well, what is a story that I think 
people will be interested in what is a story that I think people will want to buy and want to read um and I had so much fun with the kind of gothic stuff in the secrets of Heart yeah. but also I think the gothic is something that really appeals to people and that was kind of what initially led me to sort of try gothic yeah. I suppose because the stuff yeah. I'd written before hadn't really been gothic um yeah, yeah. but I had so, a lot of fun with that how long have you been an editor uh so so I've I've worked as an editor for about seven and a half years but for the first okay. few years I worked in non-fiction then okay. I worked in fiction um I worked for a few different publishers and now I'm a freelance editor and copy okay. editor and proofreader so a lot of what I do right. now is copy editing and proofreading right. um yeah I've sort of worked in the so you did do some acquisition type stuff where you, people would send or were you just re yeah, or were I, you reading I, what were you doing so I I worked for a, a long time as an assistant editor so I was a assisting with acquisitions that I wasn't like right. leading acquisitions okay. and then I worked for a while as a desk editor where I was so again I haven't I I wasn't really in like an acquisition leading role but I was like assisting other editors and okay. reading stuff for acquisition yeah. but I was mostly focused on my last role as a desk editor I was mostly focused on like quite established authors and brands rather than kind of new authors I was mostly working on you know an author's um 20th book rather than their first so it's a slightly right. different uh, process um and then now I'm a yeah proofreader and copy editor and editor so I I work for publishers rather than sort of directly with authors um slightly more removed and right. I'm freelance now which gives me a bit more time to write I suppose which is nice that is good now I would think that I, I mean I I it's we want our work to be commercially viable but it's tricky because of course commercially viable means people want to buy it and who knows we don't really know what people want to buy. We have a sense yeah. of it. So mm -hmm. you do. So when you're writing, you know what you like. You don't actually know what other people like. And yet somehow you were able to thread that needle a little bit. That must not have been. I don't know. That seems tricky in a way, but obviously it didn't. It it It's clarified something for you, maybe. Yeah, I think. It's definitely not all conscious. Some of that is unconscious stuff. I also right. I read a lot of historical fiction um, myself, just like contemporary historical fiction that's coming out I read a lot of it and that probably helped as well because I know what me I know what I would like as a reader of historical yeah. fiction and I know what yeah. my friends would like as readers of historical fiction yeah. um so that kind of helps as well both sort of yeah the, the general knowledge of of what people like to read um I, I have think a YouTube channel and I watch lots of people yeah. on the internet talking about the books they like to read and all of that kind of stuff helps as well I guess yeah I, I do think if you love a certain form of writing your love of it turns you into a, both a fan and a creator of it. And so you can sort of yeah. tap into the fan as the theoretical reader, but it's really me. Yeah. I think it's really yourself in a way you're still kind of writing for, but just maybe yeah. you allowed yourself to be admit the fandom kind of. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think as an editor and a reviewer, you sort of, you think about what you love in a book, but you also think about what, what doesn't work for you in books and that yeah. that can help you with your own writing massively um and sort of the thing that I naturally find hardest as a writer is plotting um and I worked with it on my own and then with my agent and my editors I worked really hard on the plotting of the secrets of heart to make it pacey because I felt yeah. that that was needed but I also find that's much harder um I feel like if left to my own devices without thinking about things I would just write a novel in which everyone sat around drinking tea and oh. nothing else happened oh I see <laughs> which okay. could be delightful but um you know I also think sometimes you need to plot so yeah. So do you think, okay, so you worked with your agent, you worked with your editor on plotting. Uh, you get up before we, you get up first thing and you write. So I know you're still writing. You got to be working on your next book. Do you feel like you, you, do you feel like you have your own sense beginning to develop your own idea around plot now, your own yeah, for it? Definitely. And I think also you, you possibly have a little more 
leeway with your second book I don't know but possibly once mm-hmm. you have one book out um you can do what you like a bit more I don't know if that's quite true um maybe it's not we'll find out but yes I'm working <laughs> on the second book at the moment which I'm having a lot of fun writing oh, um yeah having fun is good it's good to have fun uh it keeps you interested but yeah I, I'm, I'm gonna actually back up a little bit so this those 13 books uh th- this is the first one that you got found a publisher for how did you deal with the not publishing how was that for you how did you navigate that emotionally for yourself how'd you keep your spirits up Katie I think I always loved writing so I was never gonna stop because I really enjoy it like it's just my favorite thing to do is to yeah. sit down and write so I wasn't gonna stop um but yes it, it can be a bit disheartening um I think especially some of my time working as an editor it was quite strange where I was working on acquisitions with other editors taking on debut novelists like it's a bit weird when you're like the behind the scenes person helping other people achieve your life dream but also it was so much fun and they were amazing books and I've worked on right. like yeah some fantastic novels in my time but that was probably an, an emotionally strange thing you know to be working in to have my day job so close to something I was also aspiring to do I suppose on the other side um but yeah sometimes it was sad but I just if a book didn't land then I just wrote another one I guess oh <laughs> uh, you're you're like a you're like a rubber ball you just bounce back you don't it's yeah. good you don't fall into any traps but I would suspect I mean, we can do anything with it, but I would think that being around the business and seeing debut novels get published, maybe it helped you a little bit in terms of you seeing the reality of it. Like it's not some pie in the sky. It's like, it's a thing that happens and it happens frequently. And maybe it made it, it demystified it a little bit for you. Yeah, I think that probably helped. And it meant I kind of knew what the process was. And also that I knew, I knew probably more than you might otherwise that when books don't get published, it's not because they're bad. Um, right, I think it's right. very easy if you if you you know don't, if you're struggling to find an agent or if you've got an agent but you're really struggling to find a publisher, it's really easy to feel disheartened and think, "Well, my book is terrible. You know, no one wants it, no one likes it." But actually, the reasons why publishers make decisions to buy books, yes, sometimes it's just because they love a book and they think it's fantastic. But there's also a lot of commercial decisions between that, or sometimes the publisher doesn't want the book because they've just published something a bit similar, or it's not quite right for their list, or they don't think they know who the audience is, or it doesn't quite fit into a genre box. Like working in publishing has meant that I have known all the other reasons why books don't get picked up, which probably did help me feel not sad if a book didn't get picked up because I didn't feel like you know, there's no hope. Um, right. I f- felt like, well, it's not the right book, but right. I can still be the right writer. I just need to write a different one. <laughs> um, oh, it's so healthy. Yeah. What a great point of view. <laughs> so you love to write. It's fun. It's your favorite thing to do. How would you explain to somebody who doesn't love to write <laughs> why you love to write? How would you, what would you, how would you help them understand what that's like if you were, or if you were describing a character in a book who loved to write, like how would you help us understand what that means. I think it's like any hobby, I guess. You know, I don't understand people who love to go running, for example. Or I don't <laughs> understand people, you know, I don't understand painting. You know, people love to paint. That's not something I would feel drawn to. But people have different hobbies and they they love them. And actually writing is a creative hobby like lots of others. Um, it's a hobby like lots of others. And in the same way that people just enjoy spending time doing things. Yeah. I enjoy spending time writing. And I think also people who... I think people who read a lot of books, even if they don't write themselves or don't feel any draw to write, I think they probably do understand why you would like writing. Because I basically like re- writing for all the same reasons I like reading, that stories and books are, are great. Um, yeah. And I love to read them, but it's also really fun to create them and see if you can do what your favorite books do. 
yeah. um, create that feeling in people that your favorite books give to you. Um, so I suppose I feel like I could explain why I love writing to anyone who loves reading, but maybe people who don't love reading It'd it's be quite a different thing. So I would have to explain it. Yeah, I'd have to th- think about what their favorite hobbies were and why they loved them, I suppose. Do you have the experience when you're writing where you sort of lose track of time? Where you get so sort of into the story where you kind of lose track of, you kind of go down yeah, into sometimes. the- Sometimes. Sometimes. Um, yeah, not too often. I think because, well, for a lot of my life, my writing has been very much like I have one hour in the morning to write ah. and now I have to go to work. Okay. Um, and now I'm freelance, it's a bit more flexible. So occasionally, so I have, I still try and like a lot myself time in the morning to write before I do any other freelance editorial work. Um, but sometimes now, because my, my work is much more, fle- my other work is much more flexible, I can sort of, oh, I'm really enjoying writing this scene. I'll just carry on for another hour, which is, it right. feels like quite a luxury to be able to do that because like, most of my life I haven't had, you know, flexible enough work to do that. Right. Um, and it is actually quite enjoyable to let yourself get lost in a scene because often I, previously haven't felt like I've had that chance, I guess. Um, But that hour a day, in a way, it's kind of a good discipline because you said, let me make the most, you probably had like, let me make the most of it. This is what I've got. Let me, let me, and it's nice to all our listeners. You can get books, you can write 13 books doing an hour a day. You don't need the three hours a day to really do it. You can, if you, if you get going fast enough, you can probably get, I don't know, you could probably get some, a good amount done in that hour. Yeah. I think if I'm writing a first draft, I can probably write a thousand words in an hour. But yeah. that's yeah. like first draft. I'm really into it. Um, yeah. If I'm editing or rewriting, then much slower because I'm trying to make sure it's actually good. Whereas the first draft, that's not really my priority, I guess. No, that oh, that's it. So that's interesting. So you, I mean, you know, we all know about the crappy first draft theory that I think it was Hemingway talked about, but but you kind of ascribed to it. So you really tr- aren't self-conscious during that first draft. You just let yourself tell a story and- and have as much yeah. fun as you can, kind of? That's definitely been my process in the past, that I've written a first draft really quickly because I find it much easier once I have something to work with. And then I edit it a lot. And obviously, I think because I work as an editor as well, so I'm very used to like looking at a book and picking it apart. So I like right. to try and do that with my own book. I write a first draft and then I say, okay, what are all the problems here? Where are the plot? Where are the pacing holes and stuff like that? And then I rewrite very substantially. So I, so The Secrets of Heart with All, I did so many drafts of. Um but I also, I don't know if that is actually the best way to write. So I'm trying going forwards to write a bit more slowly with a bit more thought behind it. Right. Um, I th- I think maybe that will end up, I don't, I don't know what is actually the best way. So I'm sort of experimenting with trying to write differently. Now I don't have, yeah, now I have a bit more time. Um, and also I think in the past, you know, as I was saying, you sort of write a, write a book and it doesn't really work. So you try and write another one. And that probably made me feel like I needed to write faster to like see oh. if it works. And then if I wrote a first draft and I was just like, no, it's not working, then I just move on to the next book. Whereas right. now I feel more like I will start a book and I want to make sure it works, I guess. Right, um, right. Yeah. Well, your your process continues to evolve, <laughs> right? As you become, as, and there may come a day where this is all you do. The editing may go away. It may just be full time, right? Have you gotten to go out and and talk to your fellow lovers of historical fiction? Have you got to, now, since the book has been published for a couple of months now, how have you gotten to chat with anybody besides a, me? Um, <laughs> I've done a couple of podcasts, which has been really fun. Um, and I did a literary festival a couple of months ago in the UK, um, the UK Ghost Story Festival, which was quite oh, fun. Nice. So nice. I was on a few, I was on a panel about 
um, gothic historical fiction, which was really, really fun. Um, and that was really great to kind of talk to other authors and um, get questions to people and just kind of discuss, yeah, yeah. Um, the use of the gothic in historical fiction. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I, I was surprised to learn that like so many of the classic horror tropes and villains came all came out of this short Victorian era. I mean, Frankenstein mm. and and vampire. I mean, they started with vampires, but but so many of the stories were told in that period. It must have been something psychically happening that we were scared of. It must have been. It must have been technology. It must have been even before think, Chat GPT. We were scared of technology. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. I think people have been scared of science and technology because it changes things quickly and that's yeah. unprecedented. But yeah. I also think because a lot because the nineteenth century was kind of when the novel came into its own. I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of things from the nineteenth century have kind of become tropes um, yeah. because oh, that was when the point. novel was kind of beginning. Right. So genre, genre as we know it, I think a lot of it came from the nineteenth century, you know, like horror science fiction. Yeah. These things come from the nineteenth century. Um and, you know, I love Victorian sensation fiction and they really are the precursors to thrillers, um, which you know we read tons right. of now. Like domestic right. thrillers, that is what sensation fiction is in the Victorian period. So a lot of the kind of genres that we read today, I think sort of have their roots in the Victorian period, which is why we sort of a lot of the grounding tropes kind of come from them, I suppose. Good point. Good point. All right. Again, book, it's a good one. This reads so beautifully. Good work. You should be, I know it's third, but you should be proud of it. I hope you're <laughs> proud. You. you should I be. Am. Yeah, I am. The Secrets yeah. of Hartwood Hall. A lot of fun. Anyway, very good, but I'm not quite done with you, Katie. I want you to finish the following sentence for me. I want you to Put your thinking cap on. Think of all the books, all the writing you've done in your life, all, all going back to when you were just a little girl. And if all this writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? About writing or about? Life. I mean, life. just taught you something. One thing that I really love about writing and writing every morning is that it is really, really nice to begin your day doing something that you really like. Um, and I feel like whether you write or not, or whether you have other hobbies, actually getting up in the morning and before you have anything else to do, spending time on a hobby is really, really like rewarding. I feel like it's good for you um, mentally. So there we go. That's what I've learned from writing, I guess. I I agree. I agree. I start my day writing too, have for yeah. 30 years and it is the best. Set your course correctly, I think. Katie, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. It's been great. Yeah. I actually advise my clients, if they can, write first thing. Best time to write, I think. And starting your day with feeding your soul, being creative. That's how I've, I've been doing it since I was 25, every morning, pretty much. It's how I start my day, and it works for me. Listen, I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. I want to thank all of you for tuning in. Thank Katie for fabulous conversation. And to all of you, listen. Start your day off right. You love to write? Do you love to write? Sure you do. So start your day that way. If you can't write, go find something you love to do that you can do. Go find that thing and do it. <laughs> <laughs>